As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. But there's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Matt Trobiani, current designer and programmer at Team Fractal Alligator. So join us as we explore his journey. So today I'm joined by Matt. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Not a problem at all. It's been great to have you on the show. We discussed this back at PAX last year and mm-hmm. we're finally making it happen. So yeah, thank you very much for coming aboard. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great to be here. Uh, this is Dev Diary, a series where we talk to developers from all around the industry, different walks, different experiences, and they share their journey, their stories, uh, the highs, the lows, everywhere in the middle. And Matt, we're going to kick things off before we get to some of the current day stuff and some of your work on Hacknet and WrestleDunk and, and the things that I think a lot of people know you for now. We're going to flash back a little bit and look at some of your first gaming experiences. Do you mm-hmm. recall what the first video game was that you played? I don't. And I, I think it's it's kind of strange. I didn't play as many games as a really young child. I think a lot of other people in the industry did. So when, um, do you, when did you first get introduced? Uh, we had a we had a PlayStation One. I'm gonna say is good starting point. The first console I had. Yeah, I mean very good. Um, I I desperately wanted a Game Boy. I remember I had a computer and I uh, I I worked out a way to emulate Pokemon on the on the computer. And good start. Was so so proud of myself. So played an awful lot of that. But uh, the PlayStation One was I think my first console. Played a lot of. Um, what was it? Ratchet and Clank, maybe? Crash Bandicoot. I yeah, guess I say Crash because yeah, Ratchet and Clank's yeah. a uh, PS2 game, but yeah, yeah. So that would have been a PS2. I guess um, yeah, Crash would have probably been one of my first ever games. Did it take your fancy at all, or were you kind of? Um, oh yeah, was was there something about that game that kind of caught your interest? Ah, uh, I think I, uh, I I love the game's format. Looking back, I actually played it again reasonably recently. And I'm like, man, this this doesn't play nearly as well as I remember. So I think at the time, I mean, from the very start, obviously, like love games, love the whole the whole experience. Um, and Crash was great. I my memories of it are not great. I think my strongest memory of the Crash game is that my dad really loved the the motorbike level and would not play any other video game. Uh, oh no, really? No, no specific racing games. No, it, it doesn't matter. It was, it just, was that just that one specific level of uh, of only Crash, which I thought was really good. But, yeah, it's kind um, of funny. I, I don't yeah, mind that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I really like that, but um, I don't have loads of memories of my like early gaming experiences. So when did things kind of first kick off for you then as far as uh, an interest or passion in video games? If it wasn't, um, if it was only very casual in those PS1 days, where did things start to first kick off for you? And were there any particular just... games that really caught your interest? Yeah, so definitely the Warcraft 3 custom maps level yeah, okay. um, was pretty much where I started to get really into it. So I played a lot of StarCraft as well, um, and uh, I'd made a bunch of custom maps for that, but I was still pretty young, didn't know what I was doing, and I, I remember like just having zero idea of like what programming was or how this was constructed, and I kind of had this idea in my head that 
the developers had taken a screenshot of every possible configuration of where everything was on the screen. Oh, right. And I was like, if I move a Marine over here, I'm like, oh, wow, they thought of that too. That's <laughs> insane. And like, um, so I was like really blown away then, started making my own custom levels to sort of push it. And that definitely wasn't really good enough to do anything until Warcraft 3 came out, which is where I started to really get out of hand with like making my own levels. And I think uh, the first piece of code I ever wrote was a oh, great. Um, was modifying a for loop that would so you had six inventory slots in Warcraft three yes it's been a while to, like, but I do automatically automatically stack items if you picked up another one of the same item it would like automatically stack it with the other ones that are in there um, and so I had to do like a for loop over the inventory slots and I found something online that I copied and pasted into it but I wanted to do something different so I like I didn't understand the concept of looking up an API. And I was just trying to change like the little math icons to make it do what I wanted. Yes. And uh, I got something very crudely that, I mean, I remember it working, but I very much doubt that it worked um, looking back on it. But yeah, that would have been the first piece of code I ever wrote or properly interacted with. Just completely blew my mind. So, yeah. It's still an interesting point that uh, some of your first real memories playing games, obviously, like you said, you did play some things earlier than that, you know, the likes of Crash, etc. but your, your first really solid memories with video games also link in with your first moments where you're actually developing somewhat in, the, in that space as well. Hmm. Um, sort of. I, I have, I think a lot of the, the memories I have playing games, like a lot of games that I loved, um, but... I spent a lot more time just fiddling around with the uh, like a lot of the mechanics. I did I did play a lot of StarCraft and Warcraft as well, and like I, I used to love this Warcraft three custom app called Island Troll Tribes, and I have just so many memories of that game, and uh, I love it to bits. Even though I, I played it with um, a few friends relatively recently, and it I don't know if it holds up completely, but the idea holds up deep in my soul. And I guess um, so, that, that's all that matters, yeah. right? This nostalgia and all those sort of things that get factored yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to make a game like that eventually. That'd be really cool. But um, maybe it'll happen. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't. Can't rule anything out. Me. <laughs> Although making anything even vaguely RTSy as an indie is, it's trouble. That's the forbidden genre. You can't do it. It's not oh, allowed. Well, well uh, no, actually, let's 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 expand on that a little bit. Uh, uh-huh. what, why is that specifically as an indie? Why is that oh, the sorry, forbidden the, genre? What makes that so? It's not forbidden for indies, really. It's forbidden for game jams. Um, oh, I've right. tried to do a lot of RTSs in game jams, and there's just simply not enough time. Okay, yeah, um, I could understand in that context. There'd be yeah, a lot of ways. So, but, I mean, a lot of the games that I'll like, want to try or prototype in a game jam format, and because an RTS is sort of impossible to get a real good job of in, like, I don't know, 48 hours or even really like a week game jam, yep. I, um, yeah, it's a forbidden genre. Can't do it. That's fair um, enough. I mean, yeah, in, in that yeah. sense, the game jam con- uh, context, that makes a lot more sense to me all of a sudden. Mm. Although I think um, probably the, the game jam I'm proudest of I did, was technically an RTS. We have one resource, which is time. You gain it at one second per second. Oh, right. And um, you are, yeah, so it's, a, it's like a one button screen touchy RTS where you can like hold down the screen to start spawning a unit and you release it when you get the one you want. And but like because you can, you're always doing it in real time, your opponents also like you can just tap the screen really quickly to spawn loads and loads and loads of the like the smallest possible guy. But yeah, okay, I follow. Different different time units will counter diff- other time units, so you got to like have a strategy. 
the cursor's moving up and down on the screen, so depending on when you start the tap is where they'll come out. So it was it was really good. I was really proud of that. That that sounds quite cool, actually. Yeah, sorry, I've, I've jumped around a whole lot here. But, no, no, um, no, that's that's yeah. that's totally okay. But yeah, um, I don't have loads of memories of my like early games experiences. I think uh, almost all of them were completely swallowed up by uh, World of Warcraft when that came out, which oh, okay. consumed all of my current life. And now that I'm looking back on it, I guess all of my memories prior to that too. So what was it about that? I mean, obviously you had had your time with uh, StarCraft and Warcraft 3, but what was it about mm-hmm. uh, WoW that got you so so hooked? And I mean, this is not a foreign story, I guess. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of people out there that fell right down the water Warcraft well. But what was it for you that really tickled your fancy? I think it is a game that so... It did such a good job of capturing that essence of it being another world and another space that yep. you could enter like it was it was very immersive in that way but like i had i had friends there that i'd play with and people that i knew it was like in many ways just a completely different world and a different life and it was something really like soothing and like exciting to me to be a part of uh, i think as a as a game looking back on it i'm like oh, a lot of these mechanics are bad and all these abilities are kind of boring and like the balance is all over the place, but man, I think if, if you had to pick one thing that would have been the biggest potential risk for like my current game developer career, it would have been the release of World of Warcraft. <laughs> like that was the razor's edge. Like I could have just tumbled off that cliff um, and, you know, held strong, but ooh, it was close. It's a soul destroying thing in some, in some <laughs> ways. I mean, yeah, but it would have been so good. Well, yeah, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, look, I had a few friends that really fell down the well. I was, I wasn't, and it's still in some ways it's taken me a long time to really come aboard the whole PC gaming sort of bandwagon. But certainly back in the day, um, I wasn't a PC guy whatsoever, and I had a few friends that were, and they were they were super deep into World of Warcraft. And some of some of the responses you gave me there, those were the same sort of things they were conveying as well: the world and feeling mm. a part of it, and having like friends that you're meeting and relationships you're forging in that world. Yeah. And for me, that just seemed so mind-blowing as the person that's, by nature of playing on a console, most of my experience is a single player. Um, yeah. And I don't have those sort of interactions. And I mean, I was a big JRPG guy, so this certainly wasn't um, that, you know, even some basic chat that you might get from even a console multiplayer game. Like, that just wasn't a thing um, that I certainly immersed in. So it seemed really mind-boggling to me. But yeah, what you've described there really fits the description I was getting from others as well. It seemed to really have that effect on people. Yeah, a- amazing game. Um, I think really important game too. I just oh, have you mentioned it. I do. I did really also love Final Fantasy X, and um, I do have some very fond memories of playing a lot of GoldenEye with with other friends with a with a lucky friend who had a Nintendo sixty four. I was very jealous. Very solid choices. Yep, and that's definitely a good friend. They've got good taste. <laughs> oh, so good. So, how did things kind of develop from there? Was there a particular game at all for you that? Um kind of helped steer you towards the game development scene was there was there a game that maybe inspired you to give it a go yourself or was it maybe the culmination of lots of experiences over the journey um so there's a couple of things to this um i think when i was looking at what to do after high school and i was looking at you know degrees and thinking about what i wanted to do i didn't really think that game development was 
like a, a career you could choose yes like that that wasn't in my mind as like a, a real option and it's like probably good because i don't think it was so much at the time or at least if it was at the time it was just about to crash and become not an option yes um, and if i'm right you ended yeah. up heading into a computer science course is that right yeah that's yeah. right um i actually just looked at a big list online that says best companies in the world to work for and google's at the top at the time and i was like all right i'll go there oh, fair enough um yeah, it seemed sensible to me um but like I'd always had the idea that it would be cool to make video games, but it didn't seem to me like it was like a, a thing I could do as a career. Yes. Um, so, but while I was at uni, I um, so I I really like uh, making my own stuff. So I'd be like, uh, instead of just doing lots of the assignments at uni, which which I did, I'd like I'd really want to be like making my own weird project. So I had this little thing that. Um, spawned lots of little circles on the screen that run around and if they touched they would like share their like uh, genetics basically they'd have these yeah, little okay. genetics which define their like, color and their speed and stuff and do a little genetics test my little thing and I, I i spent most of my time in my computer science degree like programming my little my little genetics thing that i called bugs which is ironic because it was very buggy <laughs> um, and uh like working on my own stuff I actually for, for comp sci 2 i just decided that i didn't want to bother going into the assignment stuff every week so i sat down with a friend on a weekend and just smashed out the whole semester worth of assignments yeah so okay. that we could work on our own to dumb clear, projects clear the site and work on everything else that was yeah far more so, important. so I, was, I was working on my own little projects and i wanted them to be more visual because a lot of things we were learning at that stage were like console programs that you'd run yeah okay and i wanted things like to chop on the screen and move around because i wanted to be able to see my little circles right um so I was working on stuff like that and I had this like sort of feeling that I wanted to do game stuff, but it didn't seem like that was like a foundation that I could build into like a game. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, I had a friend of mine that was working on games actually. Uh, have you ever heard of a game called I Want to Be the Guy? Uh, I know the name, but that's that's the extent of my knowledge. <laughs> yeah. So it's um it's this like reasonably famous uh, game that's like a mashup of a lot of other like games like all the sprites are ripped from other games and it's famous for being unbelievably difficult like really really hard um so i was playing this with uh, a couple of friends and we had a competition to see uh who could beat it first obviously and um did anyone uh, all right all right so this is complicated where very technically sort of i did where there is I was the first person to beat the final boss, but during the credits, like your character's on the credit screen, and there's like a moment where during the credits you have to dodge something, and I'd like, I'd beaten the final boss and just taken my hands off the keyboard, and just being like, oh, I've done it. Basking in the glory. Made it through this unbelievable game, and it kills you mid-credits, right? That's where like, And you don't, you don't get the credit for winning the game, so I did that, I died, I could never beat that boss again. Um, so I did that first and then someone else beat it afterwards. And, and, and they obviously at that point knew fully well what was about to happen. So they were ready for it. I, yeah. Cause I, obviously I told them, um, so I refused to accept that I was the loser of that competition and never played the game again. Um, but, as someone uh, completely impartial in the whole situation, I'm going to take your side on this one. <laughs> that seems pretty impartial indeed. And uh, good choice. <laughs> um, so, uh, after that, uh, a friend of mine was very good at Game Maker um, and had been playing around with their own games and 
they started making like a fan game um and it ended up being called i want to be the fan game that game got so many downloads it's insane um i can't even remember how many it was like was it like twenty thousand or two hundred thousand? And it was it was a lot. Not a number to turn um, your nose up at, that's for sure. I mean, yeah, it was it was weird. Um, it was really good. So I was like helping design stuff with that, and I was like definitely getting more of the sense. So I went along with it. Like, yeah, I want to want to make games, but I didn't really know like how. It's it's sort of like it was almost like someone needed to give me permission to be able to, you know, like we didn't really have the tools like Unity or whatever that we do now. It was yeah. kind of much more of a mystery. So yeah, understood. Yeah. Um, Anyway, um, Chris Johnson and Izzy Gramp, uh, who are both in the game scene now. Uh, Chris Johnson is probably best known for his game Expand. Yes, was, yes, another yeah, one. Yeah, um, an exceptional game. Uh, Izzy Gramp did the GDC talk last year on color grading. Um, yep. It's an excellent photographer and game developer in her own right. They started at Adelaide Uni uh, a game development club. I'm like, I didn't know you could just do that. You could just say, we make games now. So I joined the club and they had a game jam, which is when I was first introduced to it. I formed a little raggedy team and found out about something called XNA from someone there. Just started making stuff. It's a good way to get into it. Yeah, yeah. It's just experimenting, really I assume, just you know, kind of fooling around and just seeing what you could do. Yeah, just stumbled my way into it, really. That's a, that's a great way to get the ball rolling. <laughs> well, I mean, it started rolling pretty slow. The, uh, the results of those first projects were... I don't know. At the time, I'd like I'd make something move on the screen, and I'd be like, "Whoa, I'm the world's greatest genius!" No one, <laughs> no, like nobody knows this is this is amazing. But it took me a really, really long time to work out that there weren't like tricks to it. Like everything that shows up on the screen, you actually have to do. Like there's no there's no button. I thought I'd get like three quarters of the way through, and there'd be a button that just makes the game good, and I'd be like, "Ah, there it is." I've been looking this whole time. I'd press it, and be like, "Finally." But the button doesn't exist. Yeah, where's you that really magic have blizzard to, on Nintendo? You have to do it. Just you have to do it all. Turn it's, awesome. It's insane. So um, it took me a really long time to like come to terms with that. But uh, yeah, I think a lot of it was starting making things and then feeling like I, I could keep going and like gain the confidence of one thing to build something better next time. And was there just this constant itch? Because obviously you did just in some ways stumble into it based on this this club that was kind of formed was there then just this once once you got a taste there was just this itch to keep experimenting to keep learning to keep trying new things is that kind of how things basically just developed from there sort of um i don't know if i'd describe it as an itch i think maybe i think that i i always want to be making things yeah okay Um, and that's that's like something i've always done and i really like making games because i love programming um, and I love, uh, I don't know, interactive media. Um, games just sort of came together as a big combination of a lot of things that I really like and a lot of things I really wanted to get better at, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, I think once once I found that, a lot of other like art forms lost a lot of appeal to me. Like, you know, drawing, you know, you have to you have to draw like all the lines like all of them <laughs> and then you make one picture it's insane it takes so long how do they do it for that one um, thing <laughs> it's um and i just i i couldn't i couldn't get my head around drawing right um you, and, that's like, you and me both by the way i know I, I i can't i can't do it it seems like either they'll just 
like flick their wrist and a beautiful image appears or it'll take like a hundred years to produce something and like, i don't i don't understand how you do it um although like i guess from like i've talked to artists about this and they've been like oh, i don't know how you do this programming you just type your magic symbols into the computer and then it's like oh you missed one bracket there goes 10 hours of your life um so you know different stuff but yeah, equipped to certain skill sets <laughs> certain yeah. people are built and suited for different things it makes sense but it is yeah. still in some ways it, yeah, it seems crazy on either side of that argument to be able to understand what the other person sees in what they do yeah so i like i like love my programming and i got more into the game design side especially like i think a lot of people think they like game design or at least think they'd be good at it and it's a very different and particular skill that i don't think a lot of people really understand i don't think it's understood very well what it actually entails general like it's because it's like it's hard to explain like it's very wishy-washy right like it's like oh it's about you know knowing where to put stuff and like everyone likes telling people to do it this way but it's i think really good game design like other stuff it's like process of iteration and like growth and practice and planning um and there's a lot there's a lot to it that's not fun or it's hard or that involves something that's very painful which is like making something you care about and then like getting your strength together to delete it or yeah to improve it and i'm like i'm terrible at that i think that's actually like probably my biggest weakest just struggle with letting go yeah like destroying something that i've made even if i think i can remake it better i'm like i'm bad at getting rid of work that i've done yeah okay um and uh yeah so i don't know i didn't i was in that same boat where i I assumed i was the world's greatest game designer (laughs) who knows right i probably am i mean you move that little (laughs) pixel one spot to the right and off you go and you know hands up in the air so asking everyone to worship me you just look at the level be like move that tree like two centimeters to the left ah perfecto i've done it (laughs) um yeah so i assumed that but i knew i was a pretty good programmer and i knew i wanted to make things so started programming stuff and like really really loved it and the process of like making something that was sort of you know visual but also had this like sense of feeling to it where you could really like the changing the settings how do i word this i think programming something that it was like programming a toy that someone could play with and like interact with and that would like push back in certain ways yes like yeah i'm something with you. really satisfying about it um yeah i mean um yeah the pushback i think is one of those important things in a lot of respects too um mm. you know if if the game or whatever it is just lets you essentially have your way with it well then you may as well just kick back and watch a film yeah it's, it's and, and i don't think there's anything wrong with leading that, you, leading you by the hand in some ways and that, yeah absolutely there's certainly a place for that as well mm. um but there is that that difference between the mediums based on the fact that the ga- a game more often than not not in all, not in all cases there are, are some that are that very linear prescriptive um or prescribed sort of path that you're following and there's no there's no path of resistance along the way mm. but as a general rule, the resistance is that kind of key difference between the mediums, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. As, as purely um, a consumer of them, as opposed to someone who's actually in the designing, producing si- uh, sphere. Yeah, so the, the resistance is like a pretty um, important part of, I think, what I find pretty fascinating about games is that you can 
engineer a specific sort of situation to make people feel a certain way and you have yes. so many tools to work with like not just um like music carries a lot of like films um if you've ever seen there's an amazing cut out there somewhere of um the end of um return of the jedi the star wars film um, yep. like the metal ceremony without any music and it's like it's very awkward and i would imagine that would fall like, flat yeah it is not at all heroic um so music and you know good shots uh carry a lot of that in cinema but yes with games you have some really interesting stuff to play with there and that was really exciting like for me to get into although that was a bit later on when i got past the idea of just making things that were really hard because i had to be the final boss if i want to be the guy so maybe yeah, everyone yeah, should suffer <laughs> so so how did those those little game jam ideas eventually build and become hacknet being the you know uh, the first thing that i think a lot of people really know you for how did, how did those seeds kind of begin to develop into something like a hacknet um I, I mean i can tell you how hacknet happened but please honest, no, no, please go for another it. it was just another game jam in fact um there is youtube footage out there somewhere of the 48 hours that i did the game jam that oh, i made really? hacknet in yeah um so i did record my screen for it and that that one actually involves uh, okay I, I hate mentioning this but uh that included hacknet multiplayer which eventually right. got cut um the first version of it was multiplayer only um but um yeah so <laughs> the way that worked i was getting really frustrated with um buttons and programming buttons i didn't like the idea of creating like an object in your code and uh having it be so like tricky and weird to bind it up to like you have to make another event and the event gets fired when it's clicked and i'm like i just want to write it out in like a big line be like if the button's clicked do this thing so i was looking into systems i read about something called immediate mode uis yep and the idea is basically that like you you do the check if the button's clicked at the same line of code as you render the button so this is a bit tricky but basically the way it works out is you can just write a line that says if do button and then you write out like the size of the button and where it is and what it says and then basically that'll return true if the button was clicked or false if it wasn't so then you can just write out like if button and then inside the little block of the if statement you can write out what happens if the button gets clicked and it was like this neat little idea um that I'd read about and I wanted to implement my own little immediate mode UI system um, because I thought it was really neat. So I, uh, I wrote this thing and uh, I knew it was a game jam coming up with uh, just between me and a couple of friends. And I was like, oh, I really want to make something that has a whole bunch of buttons in it. A whole bunch of like my UI stuff that I've just made. Yeah. Because um, I was really proud of it and I really liked it. Um, and I was allowed to pick the theme of the game jam so in an incredibly self-serving way, I made the theme um, like uh, interfaces, I think I called it. It was something like that. It was interfaces or GUIs and interfaces or something like that. Um, and I was like, all right, I know I want to make a game about computer hacking. And because um, I played Uplink probably, probably like a year or two before that. Yeah, no, the one. Really, really loved it. Um, I totally fell in love with Uplink. Uh, and I wanted something that was more like terminally, like more modern. Yes. And um, I just made all these buttons and I had this loose idea to be like, all right, got all my, got all my buttons and I'm going to make something that uh, uses the new UI system and that has 
like sort of typing based hacky in it. And you can you can sort of see the point at which I realized that I've like I've trapped myself there in the game jam because I wanted it to be all typing, but I also wanted a bunch of buttons. And you can't type a button, right? So I uh, I just I, I made it so you'd like type. You, I just made a bunch of buttons that would automatically type stuff out and put it into the terminal for you, like little shortcut buttons. Yeah, understood. And um, and yeah, so so I made that and. Hacknet just sort of emerged from it. I think it was probably the most productive 48 hours of my life just because I had... It just... It went so quickly. I think I was programming for almost all of it. Like, and I mean, look what it became. Look what it became. So. Yeah. I'd argue you might be 100% right that <laughs> it's perhaps, <laughs> it was yeah, one of the most productive 48-hour uh, spans that you've, you've done. Certainly established a fantastic career now. So Yeah. I mean, I, I'm very lucky for how it all turned out. But um, uh, I made that and... Like, totally, you can actually see midway through the 48 hours where I just go to YouTube and I just type in Hollywood hacking scenes and look up a bunch of them to, like, start trying to make the effects. Yeah, okay, um, I'm with you. Yeah, um, but, yeah, I made that game, totally loved it, and was like, okay, I'm going to keep working on it because it's really fun. I worked on it for probably, like, another six months and made the original IndieDB version, which I released for free. That was certainly one thing I was curious to know is, yeah, how soon mm-hmm. after that did the, did a build actually make its way to IndieDB? Because obviously I've, I've got 2012 listed, but yeah, I wasn't sure the exact, was it that build immediately from that point that went up? Was there a bit more refinement and no, time put in? No way. That was like six months worth yeah. of extra work on top of it. And so what, um, what like, sort of work yeah. did you need to put in at that point? What sort of things were, oh. were missing in your eyes at that stage? Because even <sighs> what you put on um, IndieDB was obviously... Uh, still unfinished and then got refined and improved and changed and, and whatnot before it became a final product. So what was oh, yeah. so what was in your eyes missing in that in that six month period before it was even worthwhile considering putting up on something like IndieDB? Oh, so from the game jam, it was extremely bare bones. So there's like basically nothing there. Like forty eight hours isn't enough to make all the systems level yeah. and, you know, Oh absolutely. Yeah. So um the six months was mostly just working out how I wanted to structure the the game part of the game where like how do you get missions and what does a normal mission look like and what are the like what what are the extents that i can push to be like what's a very dramatic mission look like and what's a normal you know relaxing mission look like um like how am i going to mix up the content so it's not just doing the same thing over and over again so solving those problems making it look a bit better um and trying to work out you know how the moment to moment gameplay and the mission to mission gameplay would both feel so the six months was like taking a game jam core concept that thought was fun and fleshing uh, it out. It was like a multiplayer only thing, and then turning it into like a single player, story driven campaigny thing, which is like you know, take a little heart of this and then build a whole game around it. And that was like six months that I spent doing that. Um, not that I ever thought like Hacknet would ever be like a commercial product or. It's still just this passion project. Yeah, it was just something that I made for fun and that I was really proud of that I wanted to keep making because, like, I really liked it. And um, the the interesting thing is, it turned out to at least at least at the time, and you maybe can correct me if you know whether this uh, this stat has changed, but it was uh, generated the highest traffic to IndieDB of any title at that point, <laughs> which is a I, fair feather in the bow. Oh, sorry, the, uh, feather in the hat. The, the Hacknet launch day on IndieDB was a big traffic day for IndieDB, but I don't think it was because of me in retrospect. I think I might have launched on the same day as something else that was really impressive launched. But um wondering yeah, if you're not it selling yourself short. It wasn't really I mean I didn't do any advertising for it, so how would I have driven people to the site? 
Um, I mean, that's a decent point, I suppose. But Yeah, I mean, unless everyone was referring everyone. But it got a lot of downloads for, I think, IndieDB and, like, what that time was. I think, like, 30,000 or something. No, um, mate, no cool small fake. Like, uh, like a, just a very, like a deeply obscure, like, indie hacking game. When hacking games weren't really, like, a thing then. Um, so I was, I was really, really happy with that. But at the end of that IndieDB demo, you get a little email from me. This is similar to how you do at the end of the current game that said, um, oh, you know, really, thanks for playing this game. I really like making it. It's really cool. But um, I've got, like, a dream project that I want to work on that's not Hacknet. And... I'm going to go work on that now. So this game's probably probably done. Thanks for playing, though. Um, and I sent that email to players at the end of base game Hackman. Yes. And um, I really... So at the time, I had this game that I wanted to make um, that was... It was like... The climate for games at the time was like on Steam. Every game was just trying to be braid, but again... Yeah, yes. I, I remember the phase. Of, yeah, I, I understand. Yeah, I do recall that. <laughs> so, I look for as fantastic it, as like, Braid is, you don't need to see thousands of them. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I was one of those people, as everyone was. And I shamefully wanted to make my own Braid clone, and I thought I had a good a good angle for it. Um, what did you have in mind? Uh, it's a game that's like... A couple of them have come out that do this idea afterwards, but... Um, it was where you, you do the platforming level and if you die, then like the shadow of yourself is still there and does what you previously did. Oh, yeah. Okay. You can like go and use them to do previous things and it was like a puzzle game. Uh, the thing is, I don't like puzzle games um, and I don't know why I was trying so hard to make one. Um, I think at the time it was really because I thought that was just how... That was just what good commercial video games were and the if that's the case, I should be I'll making chase one like that. Um, at this point, I still didn't think that like making video games was like a valid career or something you could do like for money. I wasn't even thinking about money, really. I just thought the idea of having a game that was on Steam was really cool. And yeah, and I, I suppose um, that, that IndieDB version of Hacknet, that was, that was free, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, extremely free. Yes. Yeah, so like I, I was. I would have paid people to play it. So there is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, fair, fair enough. Like so, at that point, I yeah totally understand that sort of mentality where like I've put out a product, but it's still free. Like I'm not profiting off this thing. It's purely for the love of it. So I can understand mm. why you might still have that mindset at that particular point in time. Hmm. So I was making another game that was um. Uh yeah, with a friend of mine that I'd been working on a lot. Um, it was like kind of like a. It's kind of like a prelude to the infinite sideways runners that are coming out of mobile a lot nowadays. Yeah, okay. Um, I made something like that. Um, it was like a PC game um, that did end up eventually coming out on Steam. The thing was, I like, I'd fallen out of love with that game pretty hard. And by the time it was like ready to release, I was so over it. Um, but I did release it. I don't want anyone to look it up. So it does exist. There's a not so great game that I've made out on Steam that I put out a bit so, before Hacknet. But so I'm definitely not going to be able to twist your arm to uh, name drop it. <laughs> uh, I mean, you can. I just it's just not something I'm. All right, whatever. It's it's called Hatland Adventures. It's got a hat-based health system. Um, this was back during the hat era, um, where TF2 had made everything about hats, and I was like, oh, I'm yeah, cashing right. in. I'm doing it. 
And I don't think that's actually how that works. Not but. going to lie, I did just write that down and I'm absolutely checking that out later. All right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, please do. But it's it's not the best game. It's got some cute things in it. It's just it's just really hard and it's not that fun. And a lot of the, like the, just the game feel of it is really off. Um, yeah, okay. And it's, uh, it's something that I've really grown out of, I think. Um, but I, I still really, really love that game and put yeah, a lot, you still learn a lot it. from it too yeah worked really hard on it and um like did a lot to like get that to be a releasable product but i mean real talk what it did give me was the steam curse was now out of the way the oh, right. inevitable first game tanking was now just brushed cleanly aside so that my next game could take off so that's a big positive um Good got that done out there and then so back to like the other game that my dream game dream gaming big quotes i was really forcing myself to work on it um where it wasn't as fun to work on but i was so sure that this was like it's a game i'd been thinking about for so long and i had all these puzzles in my head that i wanted to like put into a game um and like puzzles that i thought were good that had interesting answers and like i put a lot of care into it a lot of thought into it and um I was just trying to make like levels and levels and levels and levels, just forcing myself into making them. And it was like, it was like stressful. Like it wasn't, it wasn't fun. And I didn't even really like the game that I was making. Like I thought it was cool, but it wasn't the sort of game that I wanted to play. Like it wasn't a game that I would buy. Yes. And I I guess it was um, a different sort of pushback, you know, compared to what we were talking about before. It's pushing back because it's just not something that necessarily spoke to you. Yeah. Yeah. So um i think there's there's a, some strangeness in the industry that's like it's very rampant that people don't really talk about much but like you lose clarity really easily like lose lucidity like it's even if i told myself back then like you don't even like this game that much like you wouldn't buy this game if it was out i'd probably argue back against myself be like yeah it was the best game ever so you think you just get even a little bit like, too too close to it and so yeah. you lose I mean, yeah, you lose that clarity as you said. But like consider it for like the show floor at PAX current day, right? Yes. You walk around and like we all know the numbers, like a vast, vast majority of these games are gonna sink, right? Yes. And like I think some of them you can walk around and you can feel it deep in your soul. You're like, that game's got no chance, right? Which and which is which is sad, but it's it's at the same time it's more than it's, sad. It's, a, it's also it's, maths. Um, <laughs> not just not just not just the maths ones. Not just like looking at it statistically. It's like some I could make a pretty good read on it, being like that's it's not going to make very much money. Right? Yeah. Okay. And I, I could say it. I think like I don't think I could you know pick the winners, but I think I could pick at least a couple losers if that makes sense, right? Yeah, I follow. And I think like I don't think it's that complicated to pick them i don't think it's that hard and i think if you really pressed most people especially the developers they could probably also pick like a couple from the show floor that they think had the lowest chance of commercial success when the chance of commercial success is already pretty low yes yeah i'm with you so i was thinking about this i'm like how does this happen like people are like showing their stuff and like like, are they asking themselves if if this is going to work? Like, do they, do they really believe it? And I think they do. And I think there's, like, a couple of things going on there where it's, like, they they want to believe it so bad 
and it, it's like very hard to admit yourself to yourself. And so it clouds, you've, clouds you've their made, judgment. You've made something that's not going to achieve the goals that you want. And so a lot of people like respond to that by being like, oh, I'm not making this game for commercial success. I'm making it for me, which is like sometimes true, but sometimes it's like you started this trying to make a commercially successful game and you've pivoted to that because you no longer believe that it really will succeed it. in the way that you want to and succeed. Like, yeah, and it's 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 an uncomfortable and really really sad reality especially talking to these developers that are putting so much into it and they still have so much that still needs to go in and it's like none of that's gonna help and i was i think scared of being like even back before i really had like i'd really thought about this a lot and before i'd been to a pax i was i'd sort of there's something like this lodged in my mind and i was scared about being one of those people yeah and I was trying to make a game that, like, I was trying to make, I think, the game that I thought you were supposed to make um, to not be that person, right? And I thought that game was just Braid again, right? Because, as you said before, that's, that's right. what everyone was trying to do at the time. Right. It just seemed like that's what you were supposed to do. And um, I think that's, like, a really dangerous, dangerous way of thinking that leads you into situations like that. Like, I think if I'd pursued that game and finished it, I would have been that person like on the show floor that was genuinely convinced that made the greatest game of all time that had no chance of going anywhere. Well, because they see this exemplar out there that's that's done it, done it so well and has yep. achieved, I mean, the the highest amount of acclaim you could achieve, certainly at the time. Um, and obviously there was this uh, indie developed titles were kind of bundled into a different category at that point and treated yep. a little bit differently, but... Within that space, it was the the pinnacle in a lot of people's eyes. Mm. Um, so I guess there would be a logic that if I chase that, then I'm going to at least earn some degree of that similar sort of acclaim and yeah. Um, yeah. financial success, I guess as well. I think um, I think this is an issue that still plagues the industry. But like a lot of people like see a game they really like, and be like, oh, I want to make a game like that, but I, I can't make a game that good. That's just that. So add my own little twist to it, right? And that twist invariably just ruins the whole game. Um, and like I, I see that a bunch. And I'm like, ah, oh, I wish you'd just made a really good game instead. If that makes sense, like you tried to be less fancy. Anyway, I I, I fell into like a hundred percent of these traps. Yeah, okay. and that's been a it's uh, been a lot you. of history. So it's time for a hot take. Go if for it. Braid was released today, do you reckon it would do well? Uh, so completely striking it from when it released there and releasing <laughs> yep. now. Um, yep. Obviously, the climate is just very, very different. No-name developer, just out of nowhere. Yeah, so he doesn't have the, the pedigree of the witness to go behind uh-huh, him. Uh-huh. Um, Nothing. Ooh, no. Just, oh, just sorry, some I, random indie? Like, um, sorry, I guess I went with a very binary answer there saying no, but... Mm-hmm. Um, but like it's still a good game. Yes, but definitely not to the same degree. And right. I guess that that's a byproduct of I guess of the climate at the time, and um, but the idea was a foreign one to a lot of people, mm. and it's not so much anymore. And again, that's because there was people chasing that dream, and whether they um, succeeded, whether they didn't, the idea proliferated. So mm. regardless of the quality of Braid, if it released now, it's not going to impress in the same way that it did then. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think part of that is like it's kind of messing with the timeline a bit to explain it this way but it's that um what braid gave us then was kind of novel right like we hadn't yeah. seen much like that before and it was also executed really well but now it's like been through the ringer so much 
but yeah isn't it isn't it weird that like that's where indie games are at now like that's like the the bar's risen real high yes um and so, it's hard to get near it these days yeah yeah so i don't know i back to the history of it it's like i i fell fell hard into a lot of those traps and had convinced myself that making this this other thing that like i I really love the conceptual idea of, but I don't think I really love the game itself. Like, I didn't really have... Like, I, I made a lot of that game, and I made loads of levels, and, like, I made my own level editor for it, and it was it was a lot of work. Um, and it just... It just... wasn't that good. So what got you out of that funk, then? What what helped you snap out of it, I guess, at the end of the back day? To, back to the blessed IndieDB Hacknet version, um, which I had been getting a lot of emails for from people much smarter than myself being like you big idiot you should be making more of this this is good people clearly like it and the weight um, of numbers eventually steered you towards that again i mean it was also that like i'd every now and then come up with an idea for like a cool hacknet level and i just like i'd, I'd feel really guilty about it like I'd, I'd like sneak off to like from my main project to go cheat on it with my hacknet project and be like oh with i'm your back ex. for a little bit more <laughs> yeah um and I don't know, I had this metric, I wrote it down in my notebook at the time because I thought it was so profound, but it seems pretty simple nowadays. But I think um, when I was in the shower, I'd be thinking about Hacknet levels, not this other game's levels. Yeah, okay. And I think that was like... That's was, a cue. Oh, yeah, maybe that's like the pure essence of humanity right there. That's just like, that's the answer. If I'm thinking about it in the shower, that means that's what I actually... I mean... I don't know about you. Clearly, clearly, you might be in the same sort of mind as me, but some of your most profound thoughts tend to go on in the shower when you just like a hundred percent of them. Yeah, I, I'm hundred percent with you there. It's um, yeah. So it's, I it's thought that seemed like a, a sign that maybe either this game that I was working on wasn't working, or that Hacknet was something I really wanted to work on. Um, Turned out right decision. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So uh, it was a really long-winded answer for that one, but yeah, eventually I went back to yeah. Okay, I'm gonna actually really give hacknet a real shot um and try and make it into like a commercial steam size game um and like part of the justifying was like like thirty thousand people like played the demo and it has a really high rating so maybe people like it so i was like i'll make it and maybe people will like it and that'll be good but i i was still really convinced like all the way up to to launch day really that I didn't think there was going to be a real commercial audience for it. And is that? Do you think that was a byproduct of the fact that, in spite of the the high number of downloads, people didn't have to invest? I mean, in yeah. some in some respects, like yeah. uh, yes, you can you can look at the the high the high rating, but again, people didn't have to invest. So would they be would they be willing for admittedly a, a more expanded project? But would they would they be willing to pay or uh, you know? what you were asking for for the game at the time yeah so i mean it was impossible to know but i also had no idea like how much money video games are made yeah so like or if it's a thing you can do um i just really cared about the game i really wanted to like i think it wasn't about trying to make heaps of money i just wanted to make yeah. enough to like cover the costs of licensing the music really which is um, fair enough too. I was, yeah i was like i was pretty in debt at the end of development just because i had to pay for heaps of stuff for it and I was just really, I just really wanted to like get it finished and get it done. I mean, making um, a game big or small, it's an investment at the end of the day. Oh, yeah, so absolutely. Not just of time. So, yeah. 
um it, it took me a long time afterwards to really work out like you know oh like i understand some marketing stuff now and like how the industry works as a whole but it's uh yeah it was it was a real weird time well, I mean that, and this is this is jumping ahead a little bit as far as our conversation is concerned. But I I remember when you and I spoke at PAX, we had a fair, and this kind of cycles back to the the pricing side of things. You and mm-hmm. I had a fairly lengthy conversation about uh, WrestleDunk and pricing and what what are people looking for, what differentiates between a and we'll. For any international listeners, we're talking in Australian dollars here. What differentiates between a fifteen dollar game versus a twenty dollar game? What is the yeah. what is the right price that suddenly makes this potentially abstract title to some people, this foreign title to some people, feel like a worthwhile investment hmm. to just um, make without necessarily a, a wealth of knowledge? Yeah, like pricing games is hard and yeah. weird. Um, and I'd imagine, think, you know, at that point, you're obviously having this conversation with me with a great deal more experience on your side than what you did back then. Yeah. Um, so there's there's a, certainly a great challenge in that, I'd imagine. I mean, for that, um, I, I got pretty lucky because I just asked my publisher how much they thought I should okay. sell it for. And I just did what they said because um, they had this experience that I've got now already. Um, yeah. I'm still having a big think about how much I want to charge for Russell Dunk. I definitely want it to be cheap, um, but I don't want it to appear appear like cheap, cheap though game, yeah. you know <laughs> yeah, i feel like it's cheap and that makes it a good deal it's it's tricky it's evoking all these uh th- this conversation yeah that we had a few months yeah, ago so. yeah exactly so yeah um that was good i did um i was lucky enough with hacknet to sign on with uh now fellow traveler then surprise attack yes um and the process for that was that um, I had just won an award. And then after they were at the award ceremony, they're like, oh, we'll just sign this game that won this award. Makes so, sense. It's a good look for uh, them. My advice for indie devs, if you want to get published, just win some Just awards. win some stuff. Yeah, just, just win a bunch of awards. It's easy as that. I'm sorry, that's going to make me seem like a big arsehole. No, no, no. Um, it sounds no, like it's, uh, I mean, it's it, it makes <laughs> a lot of sense. Um, no, I got, I got very lucky with that. and um, There's time and place. Yeah. Um, actual advice to that is just uh, just email. Just email all of them. And then if they don't respond to your emails, just email again. About, tweet them about the email because they're all going to check their Twitter 100%. Yeah, I suppose that yeah, that absolutely works. Very sneaky. <laughs> that also works for marketing, but like, don't do that much. I mean, to you. an extent, that, that works for me to help get some people on this show. <laughs> shoot yeah, an email abs- absolutely. Or shoot them a DM. Oh, sorry, you didn't see that. I'll just quickly t- tweet at you that I that I DM'd you in case mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. don't follow each other already and you, you might have missed that. <laughs> it's so effective. So it's it's a tool and sometimes you got to, oh, I wouldn't call it playing dirty, but you got to be resourceful. Um, to yeah, yeah, resourceful. I think that's a good way of putting it. But um, the project itself, obviously, it's, it's I mean, Hacknet, it's in, it's in the name. There's this hacking aspect um, that's, you know, for, uh, the foremost thing that you're doing in the game there. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of inspired that idea at the end of the day? Um, do you, I mean, you're obviously quite confident with your programming, well, dating well before you actually got into Hacknet and, and mm-hmm. the project since. Was there, you have a bit of hacking experience? I mean, I didn't pay for printing at school. Very nice. But, um, like, that's that's my, like, normal answer to that question. Um, like, the real answer is not really. Like, I think I need to, like, I'd want to, for media reasons, to appear as the world's greatest hacker that just happened to make a video game. But not really. Like, I was a... I was a rebellious computer science student and I tried to break the auto marker so that it'd give me 13 out of 10. 
are good, but I didn't succeed at that. So, you know, who knows? I, um, I, I messed around with some security stuff, but never got super deep into it. Never got up to too much, too much truly bad trouble. But I think, I think I got into just enough. Just experimenting and just uh, seeing where the line is and dancing near it. Yeah. So I think something that blew my mind about like how security and all of that actually works is that it's so... It, you'd think in theory it would be so easy to like prevent it when you're programming something. Like, oh, how does someone hack your program? And the actual answer is there's just holes in it or like a specific place you can click that breaks it. And it's like it's all this weird series of bugs where you just like send them a specific set of data that will like half crash the program and you can exploit how half and, crash and it that's is. that's the the it's window like, for you to get in it's like yeah and i don't know there's it, it's hard to explain how it all it all works but like some of it is some of it's really complicated and really impressive and other parts are just so mind-bogglingly simple where it's like oh how do you hack into this computer you can just send it send the computer a message to be like open the cd drive and the computer's like okay the real trouble is just how do you send that computer a message like a lot of this stuff isn't prevented at all like it's like a feature that the computer will do whatever you tell it to remotely you've just got to know how to to send it that message it's 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 very strange but um it was very exciting to to play around with friend and i worked out that uh at university you could have a couple of sessions technically open at once so you could send yourself a message logged into two computers and it would like do that message on both and so i'd have like the open cd drive message on the university computers i'd log into one computer then like do some fast logout to keep me logged in then log in a different one then when someone sits down and i'd be like i'm hacking their computer and open both our cd drives but theirs would open remotely (laughs) and it was really good (laughs) but uh it's uh, you know dumb stuff but yeah it's it's really simple simple bit of fun just enjoying testing the limits of like how things really work no, I, I really appreciate that and enjoy hearing those sort of things because it's certainly not a skill set that I have, but mm. um, seeing it in action or hearing about other those sort of things uh, always keeps me entertained. Yeah. So as Hacknet was getting close to that uh, that Steam release, mm-hmm. um, obviously you there was that I don't know well, I've used that word itch already, but that that itch to kind of return to it those shower those shower thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, but then obviously a bit of a push from the community and the support that you'd received and the encouragement you received to actually revisit the game. As mm-hmm. it got close to that final release, did you start to develop any sort of expectations or what What did you expect um, to see? Now, obviously your goal was to just make sure that you essentially broke even, that you offset all the costs that you'd incurred over the journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, but did you have any expectations at all, maybe formed based on some of the feedback you were getting from others was there a point that you realized oh hang on i'm onto something here like this is actually going to do quite well i i don't or think i ever did it still come as a surprise that. yeah it was it was a surprise um and i still think it took me even after like seeing the day one traffic on it which was very um still took me a long time to wrap my head around like what that meant yeah um and like that so that was that was a long process but i didn't think all the way up to leading up to launch i guess there were two phases of it when the trailer came out was pretty different to before that so before it i was i was i was i I really loved the game that i was making and i was very much in love with it and was really proud of what i'd done and i think i genuinely thought still then that if a lot of people played it 
um, they'd, they'd have a really good time and it'd be good. But I thought I'd made the unmarketable game, which yeah, is okay. like, in screenshots, it looks like, doesn't look like a game. It's like, it's complicated to sell. My publisher had a really hard time working out how to market it because it didn't fit into a lot of their normal like models and strategies. Yeah, there's not, a, there's not a specific, I guess, genre that yeah. it necessarily falls into. So I was put a lot of thought into working out how to do the trailer and how to do the marketing for it. Um, and even when we were working on that and I thought it was turning out really well, I, I still thought that like it's got novelty, but... And if a lot of people play it, I think they'll like it, but I don't think I'll be able to convince a lot of people to play it. And that's fine. Like, I was making a game that I still thought was good. Um, and, like, that's always important to me. But, yeah, I didn't think that it would do well. So um, what was it, do you yeah. think, that um, tilted people towards actually giving it a go in the first place? Well, so this is probably the turning point, was um, we put out the trailer. Yeah, and um, there, was, there was so much work under weird circumstances that went into that trailer, and I really cared about it and been thinking about it for like a long time before it got made, and had great help, especially from Stephen Heller, who um, worked at then Surprise Attack, um, my publisher, helping me put that together, um, and the trailer came together really well. Yep, um, I was really proud of it. But, you know, still thought, like, game's hard to sell, but really like this trailer, feel good about it, I'm just going to put it out. And we, we did the whole, put out the trailer, press launched, and the trailer, like, blew up, like, way faster than any other game my publishers had ever put out to that point. Um, so, like, I was asking them about it, because I was like, I put out the trailer, I don't know how many views a game yeah, what's Yeah, what's a good metric? You know, yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? Like, if you put out a trailer, and it gets, like, how many views would it need to get for you to be like, oh, I did a good job on that trailer? Like, it's it's kind of weird and unknowable. And um, again, there's there's the difference between, you know, what if this game was, say, an FPS versus an RTS versus an action game versus what mm-hmm. I'm creating? There, there are different, I guess, expectations and for, for different yeah. genres or different ty- types of game. Yeah. So, uh, so that came out and I talked to my publisher. I'm like, hey, uh... Is this How's good? the trailer doing? I'm like, I don't know how many views it's supposed to get. And they said, uh, we've never seen a trailer do this well before. Um, so I was like, oh, cool. Very heartening, I'm sure. Yeah, no, it felt great. And there was a lot of articles about the game and about like the trailer um, sort of hyping it up. And I was like, oh, nice. Like, seems good. But because my previous game was such a profound flop, there was like <laughs> zero articles, I believe to this day. And um, like... Like zero trailer views outside of the Steam page where someone might have navigated to it by accident. And I and I guess the one that's incoming from me a bit later. (laughs) Sure. Um, (laughs) And yeah, that one time that the Hacknet Discord found it and then they all looked at it and I was very ashamed. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so I was like, oh, so if a trailer gets views, how many is good? And I'm like, how how many news articles are you supposed to get? Like, I I don't know. Um, I mean, I was very I was very pleased with it, but I was. It's still hard to get a grasp on that stuff. And it's weird because I think now I've sort of come to terms with it. Like, getting a grasp on it doesn't matter. Like, it's not it's not important. You just... It does what it does. Um, oh, yeah, but anyway, I think yeah. I think we're, we're all inquisitive people at the end of the day. And I think there's yeah. always that, that wanting to to understand 
the the how and why i guess in a lot of yeah senses. and the trouble is you want to know if you're in trouble so you can do yes. take emergency measures and whatever um anyway the trailer came out that did really well i was feeling a lot better about it but like the pressure was also on to deliver on it um and hacked it well it's great um i went through it was coded for a very long period of time and it's quite technically complicated under the hood and um it means that a lot of the code's a bit of a mess so i had some debugging problems i was adding lots of little bits and pieces like the steam trading card stuff like still oh, yeah, okay, well development. so um there was a lot a lot going on there um and then um yeah and it it came to like release night and i sort of settled into it thinking that you know i was telling people that like you know it's coming out i'm really proud of it um you know i don't think it's gonna do that well because it's like it's like a hacking game and i don't really think there's a big market for that but you know it's something that i made that i'm really proud of and i really like so you know i'm happy that it's getting out there so was it the sort of uh the sort of instance where you kind of okay it's 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 out i'm gonna turn in for the night or you know i'm gonna go about my own business for the day and then you uh, you you come to it later on, and you you're blown away by those numbers, or uh, we, <laughs> yeah, are, you the, so, are you the sort of person that's sitting there watching it again? I don't, I don't see, uh, I don't know what you see on your end once the game is launched, and you know in terms of how sales are being recorded or that sort of thing. Is there, is there a little counter that's just starting to tick up, and you're you're just watching it tick and tick and tick and tick and tick? Uh, so I made a sort of a, a deal with myself at the start that I'm still holding to, which is that I never want to check the sales numbers in the back end for hacknet never um, yeah okay because i think that would just stress me out fair um, enough uh, i had a publisher that was sort of doing that for me and there were a couple of times like a couple of days where i'd be asking them very frequently how many is it sold the, but you won't um, you won't ever go look yourself yeah yeah i won't ever look myself i did look once because i need to get a graph for a slideshow like a powerpoint i was doing oh yeah, okay that's it um there's so this is insane to me that I did this. This seems crazy. I don't know why I thought this was a good idea. But I did just tell my publisher, just like, oh, it was coming out at like 4 a.m., something like that. For like, So it came out at a good time in American time. Yep. And um, I was like, oh, cool. You know, I've done all I can do with the builds there. And just told my publisher, like, put it out. I'll talk to you in the morning. And just went to sleep and just tried not to worry about it. And that seems insane to me now like when when labyrinths was out i was up like like two days straight dealing with stuff and talking to people making sure i was there like it's second one i'm like I, oh i guess the climate's changed a little so bit responsible to not be awake for the launch um like what if there was a problem with the build oh my god anyway um a lot of it is that like your first day of sales aren't isn't probably isn't going to be your biggest day of sales unless you're yes. just done a huge marketing campaign to build hype in advance you know what i mean yeah i'm um, with you like a game like that needed an audience that really loved it to sort of share it um so you, you so were banking on uh, it growing some legs yeah yeah well i mean i, I didn't really think it would grow anything at all yeah. like i just hope it would just scrape up my head together and i'd feel good um but yeah i woke up and i think because so your first days are never going to be that huge i don't think um but yeah, like our, our biggest day would have been one of the like the Steam sales where we were on the, of course. the front page of Steam, like a bit, like a little while after it had launched and it had a lot of good press. So a lot of people heard about it and they see it on the front page again. It's on sale. 
and that was probably so it prompts someone thing. to go and buy it yeah and that was like one of those in particular i remember just being absolutely wild um i think it was the first one we ever did but yeah um i just woke up and talked to my publisher and got the sales numbers and they said oh it's sold this many copies it was i don't know it was it was really good some number of thousand copies or whatever in the first couple of hours and i was like oh cool like is that good and they're like the game's 10 bucks man like i had to and it took me a while to like do the math you know what i mean yeah you, well you're not really like, thinking about that at the time you're trying to process yeah. those sale numbers before you then actually just multiply it by 10 yeah yeah and like i, I don't i don't get 10 dollars per hackman sale right it's not oh yeah there's obviously not how yeah. that works but there's like division, um, yeah but yeah i was like oh okay cool like and I, I didn't really think about it and like I think it's it's easy for your brain to like my brain just like short circuited a bit, just went on there to the forums and started dealing with my support stuff. And I was like I was still just trying to do the math and it was very easy math. Yeah. I'm like my brain just refused to give me the answer and I'm like, Oh, how much how much money is that? Like I hadn't really thought about it. And just opened up the calculator and I'm like, Seems wrong. Seems like <laughs> too much. Seems like a There's an extra zero on that. But... And I'm like, that didn't seem correct. And I'm like, oh, you know. Maybe it made lots of money. I just kept working. And I think Pass it took that calculator onto someone else. Hey, can you just double check this for me? Yeah, but I, but even then, you don't like. I don't get that answer back. And I'm like, oh yes, amazing. This is the best. I was just like, oh cool. I guess it did that. And I think it took me a couple of days to be like, did I actually do it? <laughs> like, did it? Did this work? Like, this seems really good. Um, yeah, it took me a long time to really get to get a handle on what that actually meant. It's pretty pretty weird. But then you you mentioned labyrinths before, so you actually you went back to the well. How did how did uh, how did that come about in the end? Um, was it a similar sort of thing where there was similar to what you're talking about? Where how going from the indie DB project to then the final release was was the community looking for more? Did you have more ideas? Were there more revelatory shower moments? Um, yeah, I mean, what kind of led to... to labyrinths becoming a thing? Yeah, there was a lot more I wanted to do with the project, and uh, I still loved it. Um, there's a lot that I want to add to it and it felt like my publisher saw the success of it and they were like you should do a DLC um, and this was this was during the time where like DLC was like pretty frowned upon yes um, like really frowned upon um, so I was like I pushed back on it a lot um, and was really reluctant through um, that optical lens mm, yeah and uh, like yeah from like from like seeing them, even like seeing the talk online, it's like, oh, publishers are the problem. DLC sucks. And then like, I've got a publisher, and like, they're all really nice and cool, and I like them. And they're like, you should do DLC. And I'm like, am I the problem? <laughs> um, so I didn't, I didn't know if I should. I was really reluctant, but they took me into it, and thank God because Labyrinths did so well. Um, and I think it having Labyrinths added to Hackman really finished out that project in a, like a really good way like having that extra content on it and the extra like little programs and bits and pieces that adds into the game is it's really good um i'm really i'm really happy that i did it and so they were they were completely right um but yeah there was like they talked to me about it um and i was i probably wouldn't have done a dlc without that um, yeah, okay. they talked me into it they were like do you have more ideas for stuff and i'm like yeah of course um there's a bunch of stuff that i cut from the original game that i still really want to do this is a lot of things that I really want to like improve on. Yeah. And um, it gave me an opportunity to do that. Uh, and I'm really glad that I did. Although with Labyrinth, um, like going up to the launch of that, I had no idea how that was going to do. Um, but 
I know that it launched like a, a fair while after, like about a year and a half after the game came out. And um, at that point, I was like, "Have everyone mo- has everyone moved on?" Yeah, I'd be a, but it was also like, "Do I still know how to make this game?" Oh yeah, <laughs> I was, okay, like, right. Drenched in doubt about it because I felt like I got so lucky with the original, um, and uh, like even up to going up to Labyrinth launch, I was so like so anxious. I feel like I go through this phase a lot in my projects with like every project I've done, Rested on now and um, like Hackner and Labyrinth both got this bit. I go through like periods of time where it's like a wave where at the top you feel like great, it's project rules and then you dip down for a while and feel like this is terrible. Um, and that wave gets like tighter and tighter and tighter the closer you get to launch. Yeah. Um, where like, yeah, like over the course of a couple of hours I'd go from thinking I've made the greatest video game of all time to being like this is trash um throw it away and yeah like i was at a i was at a real low on that cycle just the night before um labyrinths came out oh wow okay and i was like genuinely thinking like this is gonna tank the brand like this is terrible like i should i should cut it right like i should like i should not release this game and at, i'd like i'd like at that late stage with publishers yeah. and all those sort of things involved are you in a position to be able to pull the pin on something? Yeah, that, that like, way? I don't know. I drafted a letter to my publisher being like, like, I'm not sure if we should release this. I'm not feeling confident about it at all. Like, I feel like it's really bad. I mean, either, like, delay it or kill the project or, like, something. Um, I was, like, really anxious. Um, and I went for a walk down. I lived um, lived down, like, semi-near a beach at the time. Um, so, like, went for a walk. It's, like a, like, a half-hour walk to the beach. So I walked down to the beach. And I had, um, this was back when Pokemon Go was a thing. And I walked all the way out to the end of this jetty and was sort of soulfully looking out to sea, trying to work out what to do. And I opened then all Pokemon of a sudden, Go a Snorlax popped up the... nearby and everyone's running at you. Pardon? Oh, and... No, I, it was completely dead. This would, this would have been like 2 a.m. Oh, okay, right. Because um, it was releasing at 4. And um, yeah, I, um, I started walking back. And I opened up, Pokemon, opened up Pokemon Go and. Just right in front of me was a shiny Magikarp, the first shiny that ever added into the game. Oh, nice. Um, and just caught it, and I'm like, everything's going to be all right. This is um, a good day. So, so yeah, so that, uh, that really helped me out. Um, and then I absolutely refused to look at the Steam reviews for Labyrinths uh, ever. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to look at sales, but I'm also not going to look at reviews because like, even though it's so great for Hacknet, I think you very quickly get to a point where the positive reviews just wash over you like they're nothing and the negative ones really sting and it seems like a bad deal you know um and i only found out a whole year later that for the first like year of labyrinth's releases re- labyrinth's release the reviews were 100 percent positive i just oh, never wow. checked <laughs> like i'm like oh i could have just looked at them this whole time would have been fine you had um, nothing to be worried about I had nothing to be worried about, but I had terrible anxiety about it. So I understand though. It's um, it's a big yeah. creative endeavor, and there's there's insecurities that can come with that. Yeah, yeah. But Labyrinth worked out really well. Really glad I did it. So has there been a desire at all to now? Obviously, as we've we've discussed, and we're we're probably moments away from getting to it. Um, mm-hmm. There's there's Hacknet. Uh, sorry, there's um, WrestleDunk. But has there been an itch or a temptation at all at any points to to return to Hacknet anyway? Are there any ideas still on the table? Did you is there any consideration to revisiting that that original multiplayer idea in some capacity? 
are those uh, are those things that still, regardless of whether they're in action or not, because I won't try and push you on that, but are there ideas still bubbling around in the brain about so, what what that could yes to continue half to become? Those things and no to the other half. Um, yeah. Okay. So the things that are no to um, desire to go back to Hacknet right now, absolutely not. Um, I, I left Hacknet alone to do WrestleDunk stuff. Yep. So it's radically different because I was so burnt out on all the Hacknet and Hacknet related things. Um, it just, it felt like it was just taking up a hundred percent of my brain and I was exhausted by it. And I felt like I was getting like tunnel vision on the things I was thinking about and things I was designing. Um, and I was just so burnt out with Hacknet that I just needed something different. No, I understand that. So I, um, yeah, so that still holds pretty true to today. I definitely don't feel burnt out on it anymore, but I'm not eager to go back to Hacknet as soon as Rustadunk's done. Um, that, no, that, that's fair enough as well. That being said, the other half of it, like, are there still ideas and things you want to pursue um, with Hacknet as, like, a like a brand and also a story and also as, like, a set of mechanics and, like, a feeling? Like, oh, yeah, like, so much stuff. I envisage um, a little then, notebook tucked away in your bedside drawer there that's uh, <laughs> just got a, a whole bunch of little ideas when they spring to mind or you've had that idea in the shower, quickly dash out and scribble it down. And <laughs> I think I'm up to notebook to visit number one day. three at the moment, actually. But, um, yeah, I've got I've got a lot of stuff that I'd like to do. Um, I mean, it's got ideas for other games and things in it as well. Absolutely. Um, there's stuff I want to do with it. Uh, I'm not doing it now. I'm not doing it yet. No, it's, a, it's I'm, I'm gathering I do, from I that that it's a time and place thing. Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, like, Resodonk, um and whatever is after that is, like, a big effort to make me a better designer. And yes. with, like, more experience in different things as well. So I can bring that experience back to Hacknet if I do that, go back to it. So I think on that note, it's a good time to dive into WrestleDunk. Um, and mm-hmm. obviously, there's a it's quite a contrast between uh, the Hackneck titles and and WrestleDunk. How did that idea come about in the first place? Um, and may, so, actually, and also given it's an upcoming title, for those who may not be familiar with the game, um, could you also care to tell us a little bit about WrestleDunk? I'm going to answer them in that order. So fantastic. Yeah. Um, so after Hackneck's done, I want to do something really different. Um, I was reflecting on some stuff that I was talking about earlier about like what games do I actually want to play how do I like what is a game that I could design where I'm like I feel confident I'm not going to be that person on the show floor that has the lowest chance of being commercially successful like I was trying to think about the sort of games that I'd seen that I thought had a really good shot of doing well um and I think that's that's also a dangerous way to think about things um like chasing success so directly like that um, so I tried to tried to balance it out a bit by designing for what I actually at the time wanted to play. Um, there was a game that I made in a different game jam um, where this was just when the first Nidhogg trailer had come out. Yep. And no one had played it yet. And I saw the trailer and I was like, whoa, it looks like so much fun. Um, and the next game jam came up and I was like, I'm just going to make that. I'm just going to make Nidhogg. I'm going to make it faster than they do so I can play it. I'm just going to make it in this game. Beat him to the punch and... <laughs> no, I was never going to release it. Um, but we made our, like, guess what we thought Nidhogg would play like based on the trailer. 
uh, and we got a lot wrong, but we made a game that was like dumb and fun and like very simple, um, but had this nice tight rule set. And um, I made it with a friend of mine, Matt LaCripa, who's a very talented programmer as well. And uh, sorry, I say as well, like I'm a very talented programmer. I made it with Matt LaCripa, who is a very talented programmer. Yeah. And um, we had this nice back and forth where we were developing it where like one of us would add a feature, we'd both test it and like really push the limits of the game to find out where it was and it felt really nice making this extremely minimalist moveset that had a lot of depth to it um and i'm talking this game up this game wasn't very good but um it was a fun thing to develop for that sensation of like having the limited moveset and two players that are of extremely close skill and it becoming almost entirely mind games where you're doing moves that are like deeply suboptimal because you think they'll be unexpected and then these suboptimal moves become the new meta and like it's it's crazy right like the way and you can have someone that's like you can play for like hours and hours against someone and then someone's never picked up a controller before will like walk in pick up the controller and then absolutely body you because like you're you're thinking too much about like the mind games when you're this other person that you can no longer just play a normal game yeah i'm with you Um, yeah yeah and like like i love that minimalist fighting game sort of thing but I find actual fighting games to be kind of kind of exhausting. Like just the complicated inputs and there's so so much to learn. They're so like deliberately complicated in some cases that um, I really wanted that that experience of like really fully exploring a very tight small moveset um, against someone that was also like growing in skill and exploring the moveset against you or with you. Um, I know I like I really liked those sort of games uh, at the time, and I wanted to make something that was like that. Like that's what I wanted to be playing. Like I, I'd, I'd keep going back to like that old game that I made in that prototype, and I'd play it every now and then. Be like, oh, yeah, this is fun. This is a fun little thing, even though the game is bad. Um, so I was thinking about what I actually want to play, and what I thought it'd be good. Um, and I was thinking a lot about that, and I was like if I try and make that into like a full-size commercial game, it would kill it because the beauty of it is how small and tight and like how little there is there to mess with it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I follow. Um, yeah. And I didn't want to ruin that, and but the game would be too small to really properly release without it, uh, without like, you know, ruining that. And I'm like, oh, what do I do? And then I realized I could just make a couple of them make a make a little pack of games that uh, have several games that are designed to evoke that same experience, but that are all quite different. They're all like really seamlessly put together, so you can swap between them basically instantly. They have the same set of characters. You can build the same super strong like foundation to build the games on. Um, but but then diversify based on the the sport that you're you're modeling mm-hmm. it on. Yeah, so I selected sports as like a theme. Um, actually, the original name, the the name of the project at the moment is actually uh, Normal Human Sports, uh, <laughs> which was meant to be like a joke. But then Powerhoof releases regular human basketball and just absolutely snakes me, even though I stole my name from them. And I saw them at PAX and they were like, hey, how's it going? And I was like, how dare you? <laughs> you stole had my this whole, had this whole feud with them in my head that they'd never been aware of. But the feud was that I stole the name from them 
and then they sneakily released the game anyway so i could no longer steal it and then i was the one who was wronged dodgy so. bastards <laughs> <laughs> no they're, they're great um so i had to change the name because of that and so i removed the sort of original theme like the original sort of marketing angle of it was going to be that we advertise it as if they're just the total normal the most realistic representation of each of the sports that we're presenting that exists but like a hundred percent of the rules are like either slightly or extremely wrong yeah they're thrown out Um, the window yeah so um so that was the original like uh sort of marketing angle on the game that had these four sports that were all like tightly designed like this uh we had to get rid of that um and now it's more purely about just the games being and feeling good um because like the other thing I wanted to do with it was to make a game that was very much about how the moment-to-moment interaction feels. Like I wanted to lean hard into what I was uh, weakest at and turn that into a big strength. Um, like with Hacknet, there's not much satisfaction to be found in just like the the individual actions. The satisfaction comes from like the whole experience, like the narrative that's built around it and yes. the um, the like implied narrative of how things look, but. Just the, the individual pressing of a button, individual actions don't have that, like, call it juice in some circles. I wanted to yeah, make a real you. juicy game, and I want to get good at that. Um, so Whereas with something like WrestleDunk, there's absolutely that component. It's it's kind of an un, uh, a fundamental part of mm-hmm. re- real human yeah. sports um, to then translate that into video game form. Yeah, yeah. So um, I wanted to make somewhere where I had very few places to hide, if that makes sense. Like, to really properly challenge myself, like, if the juice aspect of it didn't work out, then the game wasn't going to work. Um, and I wanted to, like, really push myself and to try and grow, because I was starting to feel like a big old hack fraud that didn't know how to make video games, um, because Hackdown's not, like, a normal video game. So I was like, all right, I'm going to make I'm gonna get a very video gamey video game. Um, so all these pieces kind of came together, and that's what WrestleDunk is. It's just a pack of four sports that are all... I spent a long time in the design to make sure they're all very tight. Um, they're very small rule sets. Um, each game's tutorialized by just two buttons that are just displayed on the bottom of the screen all the time. Um, well, until you play a couple of games, they go away. But um, Once, once you've be, developed a proficiency. Yeah, it should be like pretty trivial to just pick up the game um, and play a couple of rounds and get into it. But I certainly remember play playing it at PAX and it, was, it felt very... Uh, I felt very comfortable with it very quickly. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, so definitely going for that. I think I've made a lot of improvements since then with like other bits and pieces that have worked out that make the controls more approachable, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, the more you play the game, the more you should discover about each of the sports and like how like different subtleties and how you use those two buttons will... Um, like It should all be very intuitive, but... Um, there's there's a lot, a lot to a lot to find there and a lot to get better at. Like there is a, a long way you can climb that skill ladder, if that makes sense. Uh, especially if you're like in mind games against one specific opponent. Yeah, absolutely. So that was the design, and then um, you know for the the style and the music and all of that, I just want to make something that was like very poppy but just fun. Like I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of those games that rely on like gore as an aesthetic like i get it but it's like what if it was just nice instead a far um, more peaceful zen sort of ex- well zen's maybe yeah, a little bit hard, not uh, hard when you go zen. for, for uh, sports yeah. context it's rare that you'll get rare that you get zen in sport but um 
Yeah, I, yeah, I, I just I want to make sure it's just very pleasant across the board. Um, and then just build that on top of like some nice juicy technical challenges that I was also kind of craving. Like I want real nice multiplayer and um, like really, really crisp, good input. I want to be like 60 FPS all the time. Um, just having that really good, strong foundation to build all this stuff on um, so that like that you usually wouldn't be able to see in a game of the size of any of those individual sports because it wouldn't be worth putting all that effort into making like a really strong foundation for something that small but because i got four of them um i can afford to do like a really nice job of stuff like the hd rumble on the switch that sort of thing yeah absolutely and, um, and that was one of the things that yeah uh we we discussed again when we when we spoke at pax, uh, at PAX mm. was the the fact that you bring the game to switch um i assume that aspect and yeah being able to so easily get controls in hands i assume that's very much an appealing factor for for you as the on the development side but also then uh, prospective players yeah i mean i think so the switch feels like a really natural home for the game um like a lot of their marketing is about these sort of situations where the game would feel right at home like you pop the joy cons off and like there's there's no way you can have a switch and not have two controllers you know what i mean yes so um yeah like other stuff like having really good support for like every possible variation of like controller like the game just has it um and that's something i think is important um but it's it's something that's like annoying and hard to do for a game that's quite small so it's nice to be able to add those things into games that are like small and tight that i like and i think that combination is really really nice like having a really really high performance um really a game running like a really good foundation um, that's also has a very like minimalist clean design something very satisfying about it to me yeah that's it um now the, the switch aspect mm-hmm. uh you're obviously quite comfortable well comfortable you've experienced uh developing of games for pc and steam and whatnot uh mm-hmm. are there any particular challenges that developing for the switch have kind of brought upon you that you weren't expecting or that you've you've struggled to overcome over the journey uh so the switch has a surprisingly weak processor even though the the graphics uh, are pretty all right on it so i'm doing a surprising amount because of the way the networking works i'm doing a surprising amount of processing for the game um partly is partly is because the game runs at 240 frames per second behind the scenes yeah okay to make sure everything's like very very tight because it runs in in space they're like there are no decimal points in the whole project everything's like very precise um but it runs at like a super high frame rate uh behind the scenes to to make that happen and the switch's processor is not great like it all it, it took me i was like shocked that it wasn't running 60 right out of the bat because like like my code's all right um anyway and you realized it was yeah. yeah there was a concern with the the hardware itself that was causing some of those issues <laughs> yeah anyway it's all taken care of uh switch is a great device and i love it um but doing the cert for a networked game is tough yeah okay um, so yeah we'll see it's there are there are strange things about it i think almost almost weirdly like if you're committing to developing for switch that hard it's really annoying to add in like mouse control stuff for pc like you want to be able to click the menu items and it's yeah like, okay Ugh, now that's exhausting because i just did it all for like really good controller support so it's awkward doing it for both yeah okay fair enough it's quite interesting <laughs> yeah i don't know it's um some of it's some of it's not too bad um i think a lot of it requires pretty good planning though like you want to be making sure it's running well on the switch like early on and you want to be like thinking about stuff like 
the Switch loads assets really, really slowly. So if you want a game that has extremely quick loading screens, like you want Resident to not have big loading screens, right? Yeah, I understand um, that, yeah. To make it like snappy to go between them. You need to plan for that pretty carefully. Um, so just that sort of thing. But um, I'm lucky enough to be friends with some people who are really experienced. Like uh, actually, the uh, Matt LaCrupa, the guy that made the Game Jam game that played a big part in inspiring Rusadunk. Okay, right. Uh, he's the guy that did the port of Hollow Knight to the Switch. And that's and, a fantastic port. Yeah, it's a very good port. Um, and I've spoken to him about it a lot. The, the stuff they went through to get that running like that on the Switch is pretty insane. Um, so luckily he's very experienced with a lot of this. So I have some friends that can help me out if I run into trouble. That's that's a handy, handy resource to have in the back pocket. It's, it's pretty good. So cycling back to the PAX aspect of it, um, and the reception of the game there was it you know fairly positive I'd, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's weirdness to this, right? Where you're obviously in the uh, showcase section as well. Oh, I mean, that was that was super lucky. That was which always helps. Right? Yeah, uh, Hacknet was in the showcase as well, and like a lot about this game has been me wanting to make another game that's very different that feels more video gamey. Yeah, and still have it do well as well to be like, look, I can make other games too. Um, because I, as well as Hacked, I did, and I'm, I'm so lucky. I, I do worry that I won't be able to do it again, you know? Yeah, um, I understand. Yeah, it, it's it's weird to talk about because, like, a lot of people never find that success once, like, as in a vast majority of developers. And I'm so lucky to have it, and it feels ungrateful to say that I'm anxious about not having more. But, no, no, but I think there's, yeah, um, and it's, you know, a psychological thing, of course, but there's that. I'd imagine that desire to prove to yourself that it wasn't a fluke, mm, mm. that you you did earn this. That it's I think some sort yeah. of um, validation in some ways as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I think so I can appreciate that. Having um, so Hacknet was in the showcase, and having my next game Rusadunk also be invited to the showcase was pretty special. It was really important to me. Well, um, I mean, I, I yeah. certainly remember some of the chatter that we had as a as a player two um, editorial mm. team at the time, and and all of a sudden there was hang on there's there's one more that's coming through yeah. yours, yours was kind of um one of the last or the last one of the showcase games to actually get listed there it was a little bit after the fact and we've gone oh shit hang on how do we, quick we need to we need to find a way to sort this out nice and quick yeah. because no, knowing uh, and, you know again this is as, as a media team and how we're looking at it, but knowing knowing your history like we need to find it like we need to tap him on the shoulder quick we need to find a way to make this happen because yeah. we, we understood um what it meant for for you to be returning again um, with your yeah, experiences sorry for the and... trouble. I actually delayed being a part of the initial announcement, um, partly because we weren't sure if we were releasing on PC as well, um, yep. which I do want to do now. Um, it's not confirmed, but I think we will be. Um, That's right. We'll and, make sure that it's, it's a desire as opposed to locked yeah. and loaded and ready to go. So yep. there's no confusion there at all. Yeah, um, but uh, we didn't know what we were doing for that. And uh, we also hadn't finalized some of the key art stuff for the game. So we didn't feel like... We didn't actually know what announcement stuff... like Because the announcement of the game, like of my next game after Hacknet, was like an opportunity to do a proper media push. And I wanted to like have control over that situation um, so that I could try and get some attention on this new game. Because I think WrestleDunk's a pretty tricky game to sell as well. Um, so I, I asked them to delay uh, my inclusion in the showcase announcement um, which i did think caused some problems so sorry about that 
no, no, I, I, no, I don't think it caused any issues at all. There was kind of this. Oh, hang on, we got one more. Let's like it was, you know, like okay, the party's over. Yeah. We've kind of we've we've we'll set into things now. We'll be ready for packs, and then all of a sudden, there's this this cherry on top that kind of appears. So no, I think <laughs> I don't think it was um, a problem for us. I won't speak for any other publications at all, but I don't think it was a problem for us whatsoever. We were we were, we were ecstatic to see you and and your name appearing again. No, it's really nice to hear. Thanks. Um, actually, circling back to packs as to yeah. how it went. Um, I think I feel weird about it because, um, I mean, you were there. Like, the reception was great. Um, yes. Like, people were loving it and people were playing it, um, like, for the whole, like, the whole time. And Non-stop every time I walked past, there was yeah, at least a few and people like, there and a few people queued as well. Yeah, and, like, everyone that played with it, played it, really liked it. Um, and, like, I mean, you can't really ask for a better reception than what it got at PAX. The thing is, it's a very PAX game. If you know what I mean? Yes, it lends itself well to that. To that, <laughs> yeah. Setup. And um, especially coming from Hacknet, which is very not a PAX game. Yeah. When someone really liked the demo of Hacknet at PAX, it felt like I'd really like earned that. You know, like I, I could, I could believe it when they said it. Like it wasn't just that they liked the game in this context; it was that they liked the game. Uh, where at PAX, like it's such a perfect environment for a game like WrestleDunk. What's bite-sized, um, snappy, yeah, you get into it very quickly. cruising around with your friends, you challenge another group of people that you're nearby, yeah. you get into some sports fights, everyone's having a good time. Um, it's very, it's, it shows very well at that sort of thing. Yes. So it's hard to know from that, like, I don't think people are going to do a good job of separating, um, do I like this game or do I like this experience that I'm in right now? Yes. I think that's very, it, you can't, you can't just trust some random public member of the public's opinion on like that like is the game good they will say yes because they had a lot of fun because yeah and the question yeah the question being um, is will that you know joe citizen be capable of replicating that sort of environment at home to in order to elicit the same reaction that they just got mm. so it's a, it's a weird answer but the game showed really well, and I'm really happy with that. Because if it showed badly, that would have been a disaster. Yes, no, I probably... Uh, but but, but um, there's still questions that get raised from it. And, yeah, I mean, like there's only so investigate. much you can take from a game like that showing really well at a convention, because it's a convention-y game. Um, and there are games that show really well at conventions that like don't sell any copies at all, that no one has any desire to play outside of that context. So Yeah, they, le- it, they lend tricky. themselves to that, that scenario. Yeah. Yeah, so Resident definitely lends itself to that scenario, and whether that means that like I can't take much from that um, as to whether it'll be a good game or not. Yeah, well, I mean, pe- people like how it feels. It feels good to play, but again, will it have that sticking sticking power for people after the fact? Hmm. So I think for that, I'll, I'll trust the opinion of a few people I know that came by and a few journalists and things that are yep. pretty cr- critical about this sort of thing and. They seem to have a pretty good opinion of it too, so we'll see. That bodes well. Um, I'm uh, I'm pretty happy with where the game's at, especially now um, with so much extra work on it after packs. Uh, yeah. So think, so what sort yeah. of um, feedback did you take on board? Was there much that you were able to really glean from that that you instantly thought, "I need to go fix this," or "I need to go change this," or if I just implement this, were there much of those sort of pieces of feedback that you used that were useful in those? Uh, what are we now? Yeah, close to six months since PAX. Yeah, so um, a lot of the things that you learn at 
a PAX will be like, you will see a hundred times over the course of the weekend. And like a lot of those things I fixed immediately after I got back. Right. Um, Is the, it just great at you seeing the same thing happening over and over and you being the, incapable of fixing worst. it on the spot? Uh, for sometimes uh, after them, I've actually done this. I think I did this at the last PAX as well, where I'll like, after the show floor closes, I'll like, I'll just like take my laptop out from like under the uh, under the demo bench and just put it up there and do a quick fix and do a new build. And oh, nice! That. Um, but I didn't have the setup to do a new switch build for the show floor, so the switch one still had it. It was driving me crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, a lot of those things uh, will get fixed relatively quickly. There are other ones like uh, I think Smash Bros didn't show that well, and that's gone through a lot of revisions to improve that. Um, a lot of the stuff after packs has been on smoothing out all the rough edges like the loading's a lot smoother any like any places where the text would flicker um the fixed text is a lot cleaner i put a lot of work into like having a really nice really crisp text system because i really like just very good text in games Do you ever notice how nice the text in breath of the wild looks it looks yeah that, that that font is stunning it's not just the font it's like it's but how it's presented the, the way they're rendering it yeah it's like it's so it's so crisp it looks so nice um, yeah, no, there, there is, there, there is, there's the font, but then there's the, yeah, the the layer of how it's actually presented yeah, to the, the player treatment. as well. So yeah, I wanted, I wanted really nice text. So you know, put the work in to do that. Um, there's a lot about like, I, I don't want any frame drops, so it's all 60 fps all the time, and the yep. rest of it's just working on a lot of networking stuff. Like there, are, there are a lot of things to improve and fix about a game like this, and um, just having like really, really good networking points. I, so basically i'm thinking right like the way you sell this game it's it's like hard to sell a multiplayer game and this is like even though it's very online and the online's very good it's still going to be seen by a lot of people as like a local multiplayer game and that is where it shines the brightest right so that's fine but i think the way you sell that now is by having it be like streamed on twitch and like i wanted to have a very good experience set up for that specific case where like a streamer could start up a uh, like a game of this and just like hop in an online session um like players from their community will be able to join the online session uh, and they can play with them or they can play with randoms or they can play with their friends and like squad stream it together yeah and those specific cases i want to like really pay attention to and make sure they're catered to really well because i think that's not just how you can do effective marketing i think like in this day and age right for a game like this yeah i think it's also like the the best experience for it well i mean you know you're releasing a game on the switch there where Mm. one of their main promotional aspects was there's so many ways to play Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. making and they've you know in some areas they've they've done better than others, but the whole idea was no matter how it is you want to do it, we've got you covered. Mm-hmm. And you seem to be looking to explore the exact same sort of concept there, and making sure that no matter which way people want to play, they'll have a positive experience. Yeah, just and I think that's sure valuable. Like putting the care into like properly support all of the stuff around the the game part of the game, so yeah. that it's all like um. It's really nice and smooth and really, really like high quality is the sort of word I'm, the words I keep going back to. Like, does this feel like a high quality way to do this? Like the best way this can be done. Um, so there's a lot going into that. Um, and just making the like the moment to moment gameplay feel as good as possible and play as well as possible. There's also stuff like that's 
weird to implement. Like, uh, like I have to now, after building a bunch of levels, I have to lock all of the levels and have them unlock over time because if you've got them all at the start, then it's like overwhelming and players will pick a weird, really advanced level to play the first time they ever play. And then they'll be like, oh, this game sucks, right? Yeah. So um, like that's why you want, maybe I should add in like a secret code to the menus to unlock them all straight away. Whatever, something like that. Feel but- free to divulge that one to me before <laughs> before you get started so we just launch straight to the deep end because yeah yeah um well i'm I mean, excited to do so you want like all the unlocks coming pretty pretty quickly and thick and thick but then then you need like a uh then need a little like label that to you next to levels you haven't played yet yeah and then you need like a little unlock level animation and like these things like flow on and on and on yeah i understand um, but yeah i think the reason i'm taking a while like i'd hope the game would have been out by now like six months after PAX but um I just keep going back to wanting to do this right if that makes sense so so, so yeah. does it create that sort of context and I've, I've heard other developers talk about it as well but it's that whole when is the right point to let go and actually let the game fend for itself does do you feel like you're in any ways struggling with that no identifying what's that point where it, okay let's let's launch let's let's get this thing out here out there yeah, so I think I have a pretty good point for that, which is that um, my network engineer is still um, finishing up like some of the networking stuff on it. Oh, that's it's your get-out-of-jail card then. You're absolutely, great. absolutely critical for it. And I'm like, okay, I think most of the stuff on my list that I thought was absolutely critical um, is done. And now I'm like, okay, I, I'll do everything that I can to support him finishing his section. But yep. I've got until he's finished with that to make all the little polish fixes that I want before fantastic going to launch. So that's that's the plan. Um, yeah, but part of it's also that like because of Hacknet's success, I've got the luxury of taking a little longer with it. And you know, yeah, that makes sense. Feeling good about when I release it. So it's the plan. So as we begin to wind things up now, again, just to make sure we're very very clear for any listeners there, it's coming to Switch. Not guaranteed for PC yet, though that is the hope. I'll, I'll say here, probably also PC. That's right. We've given ourselves that get out of jail card <laughs> there, so you're, you're okay. Yeah. Um, but as we begin to wind things up, let's kind of cycle back to you a little bit more and and kind of uh, your time in the industry. Is there anyone that um, inspires you in in this in this crazy business? Anyone that you kind of look up to and try and model your approach to your work or maybe model some of your games upon or you know there's a whole bunch of different facets to that but is there are there any people out there big developers small developers maybe peers that you that you try and that you look up to in some ways yeah um i mean loads of people i'm lucky enough to like be friends with a lot of these people that i'm like i really admire um i think uh, Matt LaCruper, as I mentioned before, excellent programmer. Um, yep. And, uh, like, excellent game developer. I've worked with a lot that I, I really admire. Um, Ari Gibson, especially from Team Cherry, um, the Hollow Knight developers, who's, um, yeah, another good friend that I think <laughs> that game's just exceptional and his approach to developing games and the way he thinks about games is really interesting and I think really good. Um, so... A lot of admiration there. Um, well, I mean, the proof's in the pudding with that one. Hollow Knight is still yeah. still considered by many, you know, several years later to be one of the, the best examples of Metroidvania titles in, well, I mean, ever. I'd be surprised if we didn't hold that title for a really long time. Yeah. Um, because I think it's that's an exceptional game. Um, and it's got some stiff competition. It's not like it's, you know, 
um, in, in a genre there that's not being addressed to that all that frequently. There's Metroidvanias oh, yeah. popping up left, right, and center. Hell, we've just seen the release of Ori. Um, oh yeah, yeah. And that's um, yeah, that's stiff competition. <laughs> oh, definitely. Um, I think it's uh, it's amazing what they've done and like how they've done it. It's very impressive. In terms of AAA stuff, I uh, like everyone's ever been remotely near the Dark Souls franchise. Absolute hero. Um, um, Mizaki. <laughs> yep. Yeah, especially. I think that would be uh, that would be very cool to meet Miyazaki at some point. It's a it's a big goal. Um, but yeah, I, I think a lot of people in the Melbourne game scene are like really amazing. Um, being able to I I don't want to start naming names because otherwise I'll be here naming names forever and then I'll inevitably forget someone. It'll be the worst. So I just want to say everyone in the Australian scene that. Uh, comes to the GCAP and PAXs and um, that I can talk to about you know the things I'm working on see what they're working on it's a it's really it's really nice to be a part of that um, it's a good good community the the, mm. the Australian game dev scene let alone just you know the South Australian or the Victorian ones like across the board it seems like it's a really supportive um, environment for everyone regardless of your level of experience it's it's really been quite good to see yeah uh, that being said I do know that it had a history of being clicky and I didn't think I knew that because I think I had somehow become part of the clicks and not realized. Oh, okay. Right. Uh, I do think it's gone a lot better at that, but it's hard to say that from the inside. Uh, I, I guess I could just say it's, it's been really good to me and I really appreciate that. That's, that's fantastic. Um, yeah. As we continue wind things down, if you're having that, uh, that rough day, things aren't maybe quite, working as you'd like them to work on a particular occasion is there is there something in particular you look back on those really fond memories that kind of help pick you back up again um I actually, Any particular <laughs> highlights i guess this is it's a weird answer um i actually still get quite a lot of fan mail for hacknet oh great um, and there's there's a lot of times where i feel uh weird about reading it like almost like guilty about it like i feel like uh, it's it's a strange experience. I, I don't want to get too into explaining that, but, um, but the yeah. reading it is somehow you being a little bit self indulgent, sort of. But it's also like I feel like I'm really grateful for it. That yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say. Um, that but, that I can yeah. definitely appreciate. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'll, if I'm struggling with things, I'll try and remind myself to you know look through a couple more of those and like really. You know, remember that that uh, I've I've made it somewhere already. That a lot of people try for a really long time and work really hard and never make it to. And I should be really grateful for that, and I am. But at the, at the same time, there are those ups and downs through development. It's it's oh. easy to get stuck in a rut sometimes, and you know, having <laughs> those things to draw upon, whether it's uh, the success, whether it's the community feedback, whether it's the the letters you've received. I think those yeah. things are invaluable. We oh, all look absolutely. for it in our respective professions to have those things to fall back upon because the going gets tough regardless of the profession you're in at times. Yeah. So to have that yeah. mechanism, that tool that helps you get out of that funk, I think is super important. Yeah. Actually, speaking of which, I thought you were going to ask uh, not a not what you look back on, but is there anything you do when you're in those particular lows? And there is, and I had a good answer for it, so I'm going to say it anyway. Go for it. Um, I'm actually really into uh, fancy cocktails and making... All right. Like collecting weird spirits and making fancy drinks. So, um, I have I have like a like a shelf at home that makes it look like I have like a real problem that I can be like, oh no no, you don't you don't drink any of this straight. It's not like that. 
Oh, no, you, you can just admit that when times get tough, you just get yourself <laughs> knockout drunk. That's fine. I, uh, I don't have time for that. I've got so much work to do. <laughs> That's it. Um, yeah, but I do really enjoy sort of the ritual of just uh, making myself something like really fancy and taking the time to just do that something more with like my hands less digital um so that's a sort of i'd say probably my main hobby at the moment is uh making and researching fancy cocktails that's awesome yeah so i do that if it's uh if it's been too tough any particularly valuable lessons you picked up along the way something that maybe someone said that's really resonated with you or maybe even learning from just maybe negative experiences or uh difficult circumstances throughout your development career is there anything that really kind of sticks out as a particularly valuable lesson that you've learned or something you could maybe impart on others uh yeah i think so i think one thing that was important to me to start thinking about more was to make something less gimmicky and if you find yourself making a game that if you really think about it and you clear your head as much as you can you're not sure that you like you'd buy on steam I think yep. it's like valid uh, on Steam on, on whatever platform you're making it for. I'm so used to just making <laughs> making just one game that's just on Steam. It's the main thing. Um, I think it's valid to like make games and not play that many games. That's fine. But um, if if you don't, even if you think the game is good, I think good is like a very loose thing. Well, it's very and subjective at the end of the day, anyway. Yeah, and like, like it's weird to say this because I, I thought that I was making a game that was unmarketable. Um, and look what happened. Even though I thought it was good, right? So it's like, who knows, right? Who knows? Uh, but I think if you find yourself making something that you think is good, but you, I, I think I think the lesson I'm trying to share here is like try and try and be like clear with yourself. You you find yourself making something you don't think is going to sell. Like, if it's not something that you see, like, being played... Like, if you're making a platformer, the platformer scene right now is tough. Yes, absolutely. If you're making a platformer with, like, a gimmick to it, that's... That's tough. And, like... I I think... uh, So, setting setting your own expectations accordingly, I think, is important. Not just expectations, but I think just try to take time to get more lucidity on your own projects and yep. think more about like if you're making something that like either has a market or the or like or if the the quirks that you're adding to something are because you don't feel like you can you can make a good enough game to stand on its own without quirks like if you're making a platformer could you make it just just a jump around platformer and would it be like would it be good or does it rely on like, like the twist you've put on it to really work? I think um, I think something that like Hollow Knight taught me was that you can make a game that doesn't do anything new; it just does everything well, and that that's yep. like maybe the best kind of game. The right side, a uh, right sort of jack of all trades. Yeah, kind of. It's I feel like I gave such a bad answer. My my thoughts on like lessons that i've learned are so like nebulous um especially like moving to this where like after labyrinths for a while i was i felt so confident i felt like i'd really worked it out and i think the more the more time i spend with those ideas the more i'm like i don't really know 
anything at all. <laughs> well, I'm I mean, you're, think you're exploring other genres and those sort of things, and in I'm some ways, I'm guessing no you're one starting from day one again. So, <laughs> I'm not sure anymore. Um, and really, I'm just trying to make things that I'm proud of, things that are like high quality, um, and that that I at least have some some sense of how I'm going to like get people to play it and what like like the, the twitch thing that i was talking about like really thinking about like when you give it to a streamer like how's the streaming experience for it that sort of thing no that um, makes a lot of sense yeah um although full disclosure i don't think wrestling is going to sell super well um even though i think it's a good game because i think the market for multiplayer games in this vein is a bit different than it was when the switch was a bit fresher which is when i started that said, and the um, only counter I've got is you did think the same thing when it came to Hacknet, and look what happened. So. <laughs> it's it's true. Um, so I'm tempering my own expectations. So like, who knows? I respect that though. Um, yeah, it's it's tricky though. Like, and I don't think anyone has the answer. So yeah, I'm just trying to make things that are are less tricky and that are simpler and that are more just like fundamental. That I, I'm not trying to put my own spin on it. I'm not trying to be as like unique as I used to be trying to be. I'm just trying to be good. Yeah, follow you. So, mm. last, uh, last kind of big question. If there was any one game, retroactively, that you could add your name into the credits of, anything. Um, oh, man. Then, what would my title be? What would, what, uh, uh, it's entirely up to you. If you want to even throw yourself in there as title, creative director of, blah, 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 that's, that's fine. If you want to be a writer on something, that's fine. Anything you like. Right, how you could, have... you could just be in the special thanks if that's all you're looking for. <laughs> I do have an answer to this, which is probably not the answer you intended, but I think you'll appreciate it anyway. So I actually, um, I'd worked with Ari um, from Team Cherry yep. before Hollow Knight. Um, um, and I was the programmer on their previous game. And this was just, just a little bit before Hacknet came out. Um, Ari and Will approached me and saying they were working on a new game called Hollow Knight and uh if they were looking for a programmer and if I'd like to be the programmer on it. Uh, and I said no, because I had to do Hacknet stuff. But imagine if I did both. Oh, my well, yeah. God. <laughs> so it would have been good to be in the credits of that one. But, oh, um, it's a, that's a very good choice. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I think um, I think that's a bit of a, like a missed opportunity, but like I gave the right answer. Like I didn't have time to do it. So. Oh, I mean, it's it's not like you've uh, struggled in the the years since either. So yeah, and it you've, turned you've out pretty carved well. Carved out a pretty me, good so. path for yourself. Yeah, they did it all right without me there. So you know, I think uh, I think they didn't need it. Oh uh, yeah, everyone kind of everyone won out in that scenario there. Mm, yeah, felt good. That being said, I'm playing Monster Hunter World at the moment, and damn, that is a good game. I did see you uh, post about that on Twitter the other day. <laughs> it's, um, it's real good. I'm like hammer forever. It's just nothing but spitting meteors over and over again. Okay, so you and I are on the same page there. We play with the same the same weapon too. Great. Yeah, it's, you play hammer? Yeah, I'm the hammer, so... Oh, very good. So I'm not severing anything, but I do love just beating their head into the turf. <laughs> it feels, feels real good. I was just running, like, Max Slugger Secret for a while. All right, this is, this is off topic. Yeah. Monster Hunter people will understand. They'll absolutely understand, and uh, anyone <laughs> that doesn't understand, you just need to go play Monster Hunter, right? It's, it's real good. It's a real good game. So, Matt, if anyone wants to uh, reach out to you, keep um, track of what you're up to, where would they be best to go? And, of course, uh, keep an eye on WrestleDunk. Where would they be best uh, yeah. to go? So, the best place is Twitter, for sure, um, at Oren. So, that's at O-R-A-N-N. Um, that's 
pretty much where you get all of the updates about everything that I'm doing. Although I don't post there that often, so don't worry about it. But when you do, it'll be profound or it's Monster Hunter related. So Yeah, which was pretty profound. Did you see that screenshot? Oh my that God. was a great screenshot. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That was just an automated one from the end screen. It was great. Um, yeah, so it's going to be either one screenshot of Monster Hunter or news on the game. It's pretty much all I tweet. Or the release date. One or the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, there's that. Uh, there's also a Resodonk Twitter at Resodonk Game, which will probably be more active when it's like coming up to lunch. Absolutely. Well, Matt, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today, sharing your story. Um, there's so many layers to it. It's been really fascinating to see how you've progressed over the years. Um, I wish you nothing but the utmost success for for WrestleDunk. I hope you're wrong with those expectations of how it's going to perform. I hope it uh, shoots the lights out because certainly what I played at PAX was a very enjoyable experience. It seems so many other people enjoyed it, and I hope that you uh, find the the way you're looking forward to make sure that that experience can be replicated in the home and that people latch onto it and it's it's the success that uh, I think we all want it to be ah, thanks so much I really appreciate it I, uh, I hope that too that's it yeah, thank you very much for, for sharing the story and, and giving you some time oh, thanks very much for having me and listeners as always thank you much for listening I will see you next time That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until our next episode, however, that's been Matt's story. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.